Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Well, I think one of my favorite testimonies that I hear at Kalos Church is when people come to our church and they say, I I started coming to Kalos Church and I found friends. And I found some friends. And I think that that's really powerful. I think we sometimes can take that testimony for granted. But the reality is that it has been like an official like thing that has been broadcasted that we in our society are dealing with the epidemic of loneliness. And so when people come to church and they find friends, this is a big deal. We believe that the church is a really profound place to find some friends in your life. I know that Uh, I don't know what I would do without my friends. I just don't know what I would do without them. But in my life, I have had some really great friends and I've had some really bad friends who have not been such a great influence on my life. Anybody else been there, okay? And so I want to start out by asking you this question this morning. Have you ever started hanging out with a group of friends or a crowd of friends and eventually you found yourself in a place you never wanted to be? Has that ever happened to you? Or even just maybe one person. You know, it can only take one person sometimes to be an influence in your life. And you all of a sudden start compromising your values. You all of a sudden start doing, making unhealthy decisions for yourself. Maybe you find yourself in places you never thought you would be. And you don't even realize it's because you've got this friend in your life or it's because you started hanging out with this group of people and they haven't been the best influence in your life. Now, as a mother, I have this just generally healthy fear that my children are going to grow up, they're going to get into the wrong crowd, and they're going to start just making bad decisions for themselves. I mean, this is a normal worry, I think, for parents, right? Well, I realized, too, that I don't want to just shelter my kids. I want them to be able to be friends with people that are different from them and unlike them, right? But also, I want to make sure that my kids have good influences in their lives, right, parents? And so I was talking to my daughter. She is in preschool here in Bellevue. And I asked her a couple months ago, who do you want to invite to your birthday party? She said, I want to invite a couple of kids that she's really close to at preschool. And so we invited them to her birthday party. And I said, well, what about this girl? And for the sake of, you know, privacy, we'll call her Summer. Okay. I said, well, what about Summer? Don't you want to invite Summer to your birthday party? And she said, no, mom, because Summer one day at school stole the Halloween costume, the pumpkin Halloween costume at school, and she hogged it for the whole rest of the day. And apparently my daughter had been holding on to this grudge much longer than I realized. And so I'm like sitting her down, I'm like, honey, let's talk about forgiveness, right? Like, let's talk about, you know, let's just not hold that against Summer for the rest of her life, okay? And so we talk about that and, and, and so we say, okay, maybe next year we'll invite Summer to your birthday party, okay? And so then a couple of weeks ago, I found an item in my daughter's backpack that did not belong to her. And it is not an item that I ever bought her or her dad ever bought her. And I said, where did you get this? It was a cute little like 
pillow thing. I said, where did you get this? And she would not tell me. And uh, uh-huh. And so I said, let's go in the bedroom and talk about this. And so we sit down. I said, honey, where did you get this? I don't want to tell you. Well, you can tell me, honey. I'm, it's okay. And so she tells me that she took it from her preschool classroom without asking. And I did what any parent would do. I looked at my daughter and I said, this is all Summer's fault. Summer's a thief and now you're a thief. I didn't really say that to her. But I realized, I realized that on my journey, even with my daughter, is that I'm trying to help her learn how to have friends and have people in her life, but also not always become like the people in her life. But sometimes that is not a very easy thing to do because we don't even always know that it's happening within our conscience, right? And so the title of my message this morning, maybe you've heard this phrase before, but the title of my message is this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Have you ever heard that? before. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It implies that our friends influence us and we become like those we are close to and that we have close relationships and friendships with. John Maxwell says it like this, your life will be the sum total of the people you spend time with. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Um, Our heart behind this Friends, Church of Friends message series is that you would not just operate in friendships, but you would have a theology and a biblical understanding of friendships. Because the thing is, as followers of Jesus, everything about Jesus informs everything about our lives right? And so I think sometimes we can take our cues about certain areas of our life from the world or from wherever, but we want you to take your cues about everything, marriage, friendship. We want you to take your cues from the scripture. Amen? We want to make sure we're operating according to the ways of Jesus. And the Bible is very interesting about friendship. And Jesus, who I look to a lot for my theology and helping me understand how I want to live according to his ways is very has a tension that it's building here because the Bible talks about Jesus having and being friends with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, right? But the Bible also talks about Jesus uh, making sure that we're not friends with people that could corrupt us. Okay, I want to show you this in the scriptures. Jesus was friends to people that even the religious people had a problem with. Luke 5.27 says this, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of the Levi's, many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Okay, this is building a reputation for Jesus. I want to look at Matthew 11, 19, says this, the son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So we 
have Jesus here who has this reputation of being friends with tax collectors and sinners. Religious people did not like that he was friends with these people. But then we see something else happen in scripture. It's a little bit contradictory. One of Jesus's closest, three closest disciples, James, gives out a warning about who to be friends with as well. James 4.4 says this, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's some strong language. First Corinthians 15 says this. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. Okay, so which one is it? Do we follow Jesus or do we follow James? Do we see that Jesus is friend of tax collectors and prostitutes, but also heed this warning that it's very important that we're careful who we're friends with because literally our friends could corrupt us, is what James says. Who do we follow? How do we know how to balance this in our lives? Charles Spurgeon says this, very, be very sure of this. People will generally pick up the character of those with whom they constantly associate. It is a law of our nature nature that we become assimilated to those whom we habitually love and reverence. Isn't that interesting? There's actually a psychological and scientific term known as social contagion. Has anyone ever heard this word before? Social contagion. I want to read you a definition of this because it helps us understand that there are some ways that we're impacted by people when we don't even realize it. Social contagion is an ubiquitous process by which information such as attitudes, emotions, or behaviors are rapidly spread throughout a group of group from one member to others without rational thought and reason. While much of the social contagion process, such as people following fads, trends, or rituals, are not necessarily dangerous, when social contagion leads to harming individuals, as in clusters of violence or self-harm, it, can con- it is a concern for both for public and mental health health. Now, isn't this weird? I read about some different historical moments of social contagion that happened that are really kind of wild. The first one is this. In 1518, how many of you like science? How many of you like psychology? You're like, give me the history. Okay. In 1518 in France, there was a social contagion called the dancing plague. The dancing plague. Okay. A woman from France started dancing out into the streets. She danced for 30 days, non-stop 24-7. I didn't make this up. It's in the history books. Look it up. She danced and people just started joining her. Eventually, 400 people were dancing in the streets non-stop. And it got so bad that people started dying. I mean, how many of you have danced so, so hard? I mean, some of you love dancing. They dance so hard that it actually says that they had heart attacks, strokes. Some died of just pure exhaustion. The local authorities, for some reason, thought that the best way to end the dancing was to keep the dancing going. And they hired professional bands and musicians. I think they just thought that hopefully they would just like get a clue and stop. In the end, there were people that actually died. And they attribute, psychologists attribute attribute this mass hysteria was caused by social contagion. 
Isn't that weird? Okay, here's another one. You guys want another one? I was just so just fascinated by this. In Tanzania, in 1962, there was a social contagion, and it started where there were three students in a school who experienced attacks of laughter and crying that lasted several hours. Isn't this interesting? This occurred for 16 days, and the symptoms began to spread to about 100 other students. They had to shut down the schools and send the children home. Then the children went home, and guess what happened? The villages and the communities all started having these attacks of crying and laughter. In the end, it says 1,000 people were affected and 14 schools shut down over a two and a half period because it was attributed to social contagion. Isn't that wild? This is a really powerful thing. Social contagion happens in all of our lives, usually not as extreme as the stories that I just told you. But in our moods, in our emotions, in our behaviors, we are impacted, we are influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. So it's really important that we recognize this, that social contagion can happen to all of us. Excuse me. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> About 10 of you are yawning right now. Social contagion! I got you, right? Social contagion, will our bodies will do things. I mean, have you ever seen someone yawn and all of a sudden you're yawning and you're just like, how did that happen? It just happens. Our bodies begin to respond and we don't even recognize it happens. It can happen in fads and trends. Case in point, I'm going to put up a slide on the screen here. We experience social contagion even in what we wear. I mean, I don't know what's happening. I don't know if Pastor Pradeepan is just copying all y'all's styles or if you guys are copying his style, but some of you are being really influenced by my husband. Look right here. I have proof. Okay, right? The St. Jock family especially is experiencing social contagion, right? Patience, you look beautiful in that in that jean jacket, right? So we see that social contagion happens in a lot of different ways. We see even in politics, let's be real. Social contagion is a, is a powerful thing depending on where you live in America, what community that you're in, what political ideologies that you have can often be because of the influence of different social dynamics all around you. There's actually something called the Werther effect, and this is kind of a sad one, but the Werther effect is known today as a social contagion. It refers to the copycat suicides that, have to, that often happen after following a highly publicized suicide case. The Werther effect. Isn't that wild? Social contagion is real. We, begin, we are people who were designed by God to be influenced by each other. Okay? There's a design within us that I don't think we have to shame, but we have to recognize it. And we have to realize that it's happening. When it comes to who we should be friends with or not, we need to take seriously the impact people have on us without our recognition of it. Right? 
I think I get the most concerned if I'm honest about Christians who say they're Christian, but predominantly only have friends who are non-Christians. And something that I have seen happen, and Pastor Preefin and I were talking about this, we've seen this happen where people will have the highest standards for friends in church. Like, like, like in order to make friends, people have to just walk this very specific standard, right? And no one can meet that standard. But then you go outside into the world, outside of church, online, wherever, and there's no standards for your friendships, right? And so we begin to see, I begin to see that even Christian people are only having, predominantly having only non-Christian friends, and it's taking a toll on them. And like I started this message, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in places that we never thought we would be because of the influence of other people. So I want to understand today that we're deeply impacted by others. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's a couple of things that I noticed about Jesus in the scriptures when it comes to friendship. The first one is this. Jesus had various proximity of friendships. Isn't this interesting? Jesus had kind of different layers of friendship. And I don't think this is a bad thing. I actually think this is a thing that we need to follow his example in. Did you know Jesus had a very best friend, John, who he, he called his beloved disciple? You can read about it in John 21, 20. He had his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, his three like buddies, best friends. Peter, James, and John, they got to experience things with Jesus that none of the other disciples did. They got to experience the transfiguration. They got to he- see him do miraculous things, heal people. We're going to get to a story like that in just a minute. But Peter, James, and John were his inner circle. Then he had a more outer circle with his 12 disciples who he spent a ton of time pouring into, uh, talking to, teaching, right? And then he even had an outer layer beyond that. He had friends like Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Zacchaeus. Jesus had these different sort of layers and proximity. And I would even add phases of friendship with people right? And I think that this was a good thing, but I want to ask the question, why? Why did Jesus do this? How did he operate? I'm sure he was intentional about this because he wants us to follow his example, right? So the first thing I think one of the reasons I speculate that Jesus had a proximity of friendships is because Jesus was on a specific mission and he chose certain people to walk with him on it. And let's be real, some people were more ready than others, Some people were more ready for the crazy teachings of Jesus than others and were able to accept them. Some people demonstrated stronger faith than others did. Jesus, I think, even a bunch of this group of disciples was always dealing with relational dynamics as a pastor, maybe as a business owner, whatever. How many of you are like, I'm always navigating this dynamic, right? Of just people in this workplace or in church or in Jesus's sense, teaching and expanding the kingdom of heaven. You know, I remember when Pastor Pradeepan and I felt called to plant Kalo's church, we were so humbled by the fact that there were people that wanted to come with us and plant this church with us. And it was, I mean, really, it was so moving, so moving. But there were some people who wanted to come plant this church with us that really were, they, they weren't ready. And so they would come to us and they would ask, hey, we want to go plant this church with you. You know, and, and I remember this one couple, really sweet couple, they were friends. They had just started dating, Marriage was like not even close to being inside. They lived with their parents, had never lived anywhere else in their lives, never had to pay one bill in their entire life. Like I literally remember asking them just to see like, where are we at with these people? And they were like, guys, we want to play. We feel like God is calling us to plant this church with you. We'll just fast track this wedding and we'll come plant a church with you. And we just looked at them and we said, we love you, but you are not ready. 
you know? Like, not only do you have to learn how to like pay bills, but it's real expensive in Seattle, okay? I can't pay your bills on a church planter salary for you, right? And so there just weren't people, there were some people that just weren't ready for that. There were other people who just really couldn't keep jobs or were just really not in a good, healthy place within themselves. They said, I want to come plant a church with you. And we said, hey, you know what? Why don't we work on some of these areas in your life? Stay here. Because listen, if you're going to uproot yourself and move yourself to Seattle all the way across the country, it is going to shake you a little bit. So maybe let's just work on these things and maybe you come out a little bit later and, and, and help us in a different phase of this church. Jesus was on a mission. We were on a mission. And it's important to surround yourself and consider the proximity of friendships that are around you, right? And maybe you're like this. I think that we all have these certain moments in our life that we want to tell certain people about, and we want to just be careful what all gets out there. And I think that it's okay. Maybe you have wanted to go back to school or you wanted to start a business and or something really exciting and you're like, okay, but I don't want to tell everybody because I don't want any, everyone to like, just like, like poop on my parade, you know? So you like tell your closest friend, like I'm thinking about going back to school and becoming this, you know, or whatever. Or maybe you just got engaged and so the proximity is very different. You're ready to shout it out on Facebook. You're ready to tell everyone that you're engaged or whatever that is. Or maybe you talk to a doctor and you got a diagnosis that was really difficult to to accept for yourself and, and you want to just tell a close group of people. The proximity of friendship, I think, is something that works for us, not against us. Sometimes the question we need to ask isn't, should this person be my friend? It's how close should this person be right now? Right? I think that's one of the most powerful questions that we can ask in our friendship experience. I think another possible reason that Jesus had a different proximity of friendship is because he knew that he was going to suffer and die. And he need people he needed people around him that could handle it that could watch their savior, watch the one who for the entire Bible, the one who had been prophesied, watch him literally die right? I want to read this passage. Mark 14, 32 says this. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus took three friends to the garden of Gethsemane and he said, I am in agony I am in such agony. Can you imagine what it would have been like if the, all of the crowds would have been there seeing him in that kind of, none of us want that many people seeing us in that kind of agony. I remember when um, a few years ago, Pastor Preetvin and I were going through the diagnosis of autism with our son who has severe developmental disabilities, um, is for the, for the most part nonverbal, uh, really just not able to keep himself safe, uh, not even always able to be safe around other people and keep them safe. So we just, we, we just we're going through a lot. And if you don't know our story, our son was developing perfectly up until about 18 months. And 18 months, he just started regressing. The biggest regression that even our doctors and psychologists have seen in quite a long time. He just lost everything. And I tell you what, you guys, we were in the most pain of our lives. The most pain of our lives. And, and I remember being in such a dark place that I didn't even think, I mean, you've heard Pastor Pretty and I both say this. We didn't know if we should be pastors anymore. We went to our board of a director. Like, should we? We're in a really, really low place. And here's what was happening as well. Not only were we low because we felt like we lost our son, but we were having major existential crisis as well. We were going through a dark night of the soul. God, what 
What are you doing? Are you real? How do we, you know, all of this stuff. And, and, and honestly, we brought in a few close friends at that time because we needed friends. The worst thing you can do is be isolated in those really dark moments. But we brought in some really, really close friends. And I would have loved to share it with the whole church. But you know that if I stood up here on stage at that time when I was that week and I just shared with you all the questions that I was asking God, that's not going to help some of you that are just Christians for the very first time. They're just learning to walk in his ways. You know, if I can up here and showed you how angry I was at the world and I, I used some of the language. I, some of you would have said, you're fired. You're like, you should not be a pastor, right? But that's where I was, you know? And I'll be honest with you, then we decided, hey, you know what? We got to a little bit of a place where like, our, we weren't just constantly drowning. We got some help. We got some support. We had close friends. And then we were able to, to have our heads just to be a little bit higher. And then we began to share with the church. Now, I want to be honest with you. We're not the kind of pastors who waited and until everything was all good and we were fine. We shared with tears. We shared still with our heart broken because I believe in transparency. I believe in vulnerability. But there are times and there are proximity of people that we need to be aware of. Jesus was when he was in agony, when he was struggling, right? I want you to know today that Jesus knew that his friendship, proximity to people wasn't, not, wasn't only good for him, but it was good for others. And I knew that about you guys. I knew that about the church. How we handle this moment in our lives is really important and how that impacts all of you and how that impacts my friendships as well. This is how I feel as a pastor. And I want us to know that, that, that proximity of friendship is a good thing. What we don't have to do is sort of be drama around it. Well, that person is closer to that person. And so that just means that I'm out and I'm whatever, right? Like we don't have to do that. Proximity of friendship is for us, not against us right? So I want us to be a church of friends that can follow the ways of Jesus even in this way. Amen? All right. The second thing I see here is that Jesus wasn't only friends with tax collectors and prostitutes. He wasn't only friends with tax collectors and prostitutes. I've heard a lot of Christians say, I referenced this before, that they said this to me. They said, well, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. So I, it's just an excuse for only having non-Christian friends in their life. You know, like it's this kind of like biblical thing that they're doing. And I'll be honest with you, I have noticed that when Christians only have non-Christian friends in their life, it has not worked out well for them. It has not worked out well for them. The social contagion is real. A.W. Tozer says it like this, we must be friends of the right people and keep company with the good if we would grow good ourselves. A single bad companion will sooner or later corrupt a good character, Right? I had a friend say one time to me, um, I'm a Christian, but I don't have any other, I'm not friends with other Christians and church people. And I said, well, how come? And this person said to me, well, because Christians just think that they're better than everyone else. I said, so let me get this straight. You don't want to be, have friends that are Christian because you don't want to be better than everyone else by acting better than everyone else, right? And so I began to think about this and challenge this person. And I want to read to you. Actually, I, I wordsmithed this a little bit with some, with some friends. Um, and uh, this is essentially what they're saying. I am better than Christians who think they're better than everyone else. Some of you are like, oh, that's me. Right? Um, I found a couple of memes. I would never like actually call you, anybody this, but these memes are just too funny to not share. So let's put up that first one. When you're trash, but you're still better than everyone else. <laughs> I've never seen a gold trash bag. Has anybody? 
Show me where they're at. Okay, the next one. Uh, I'm kind of lonely, but I'm so much better than everyone else. I mean, we're dealing with an epidemic of loneliness, right? And I wonder if some of us are just really like, I'm too good for everybody. If you don't have friends for that reason, you really need to check yourself. You really need to stop acting like you're better than everyone because you're not. You have something to offer the people around you and they have something to offer you. And something that they have to offer you could be really wonderful for your life, right? Most likely, I'll tell you this, if you're a person that only has non-Christian friends and you are a Christian, most likely your resistance to having Christian friends in your life is a resistance to accountability in your life. And a resistance to somebody helping you and walking with you and being able to call you out on stuff lovingly and kindly, right? We don't want to have that. Let me put it this way. You won't love sinners well without Christian people in your life. I have learned this to be true. I want to love people, but I need Christian people in my life to do it with me and encourage me as I'm doing it. Jesus regularly took his Christian friends with him when he extended love to sinners. Okay, I want to read this story to you real quick and I'll wrap up. Mark 5.35 says this. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Darius, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talithakum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. So here's what happened. Jarius, synagogue leader, gets this word that his daughter is dead that his 12-year-old girl is dead. He's with Jesus, and, he, and Jesus says, hey, don't worry, your daughter is sleeping, right? So Jesus brings, he brings three friends with him, not everybody, not the whole crowd. He was in a whole crowd. He had just healed the woman with the issue of, of blood, right? But he leaves, and he takes three people. You three come with me, right? He gets there. There are weeping and mourning going on. Fun fact, back in history, in the Jewish times, they would actually hire mourners, like flute players, and people who would come and weep and mourn when there was a, a, a person that died and they would actually be making the funeral plans. So Jesus walks in with Peter, James, and John, and Jarius. They walk in and they see all this mourning going on and Jesus says, get out of here. What are you doing? Get out of here. He kicks them all out, right? And I think that this is really interesting. Why did Jesus in that moment bring three people and kick all these other people out? Well, I I believe it is because Jesus decided that as he was going to heal this dead girl, he was going to change the environment in that whole place. And listen, in our friendships, in the people around us, some of us need to kick some people out and bring some good people in and bring some people who have a good influence into our lives. That atmosphere turned from death to faith and from faith to life. Okay, this is a big deal because I think what happens when we're being influenced in negative ways by people, we find ourselves in atmospheres and environments that are not good for us. We find ourselves in a headspace where all we're doing and thinking about is these things and being pulled in these ways that are actually not life-giving. He brought life. They actually are taking us down a road of death and destruction. 
And so we need to realize that we need to kick out some bad influences in our life and bring in people of faith. Because why? Because some of you are this close to cheating on your spouse. Because some of you are this close to doing something really horrific with your money that you share with your family. Some of you are this close to trying a substance you have no business trying. Some of you are this close to doing something so destructive because you're around the wrong people and only around those people. And God wants you to kick some things out of your life, some bad influences out of your life and bring in some people of faith, some people who can hold you accountable, some people who can love you through your stuff. Amen. Many years ago, I had a Christian friend who was married and uh, she started hanging out with this guy who was also married, not her husband, and had children. And unfortunately, over a period of time, they started hanging out only by themselves and they had an affair. And her husband, uh, after he found out that she had an affair, um, he kicked her out of her house. And I said, hey, come, come live with me um, until we can figure something else. And she came and she lived with me. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, I don't know how I got here. I just don't know how I got here. And I knew how she got there. I knew how she got there. She was a, a, a Christian friend who only had non-Christian friends, who barely went to church, didn't really have any good influence in her life, was in a marriage that was struggling, found another marriage that was struggling, right? Someone also not very committed to their faith at the time. And they unfortunately did something they never thought they'd ever do, right? This is what happens. This is what we need to be aware of. And things started going downhill for them. I didn't know, I don't know how I got here. I never thought I'd be the kind of person that would do this. I wanna tell you this morning, friends, that we can be a church of friends with healthy relationships, with people around us as true friends who will walk with us through stuff, who will lift us up, right? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. As a church of friends, we're taking our cues from Jesus, right? And this is, I wanna end with this, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Amen. Can we pray this morning? I wanna pray for you. And bow your head and close your eyes. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you are forming and shaping what friendship looks like in the church and outside of the church. Lord, I thank you that you have set the standard, that we would be people who would lay down our lives for our friends. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you that we can be people who can thrive in good friendships, Father. So I want to pray for every single person in this room that feels lonely, who's struggling, who's struggling with friendships, who's thinking, I know that I don't have the right people around me. I know they're a bad influence on my life. God, I pray right now that you would so touch their hearts. You would guide them and lead them into having conversations and boundaries and putting themselves in a situation, God, where they begin to let go of some bad influences and bring in some people of faith in their life. Would you give them the grace to do this and walk this out? Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your word. We lean into it, God. We just say we want our friendships to be, be shaped by the scriptures, by the example of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.
thank you so much for joining us at the K. Lois Church Podcast. Hey, we would actually love to see you in person, and we meet at 9.45 and 11.30 every Sunday in Bellevue. If you're interested, you can just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there, and we hope to see you there. Thanks again for joining us at the Kalos Church Podcast.